I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am strategic and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, we are on page 45, chapter 4, and the title is The Deity of Truth. Man, please calm down. The motivation is overwhelming tonight. Uh, the question there is, Tom, is Jesus Christ God? Yes, that's always a safe answer in uh, Wednesday night Bible study. But uh, here's what the author says at the top of page 45 on this topic. He says, now, if you were to ask this question on the streets of any major city, including, dare I say, Las Vegas, uh, you would get quite an array of answers. Someone answered negatively, the code word for no, and explained that they think that he was simply a holy man. How many of you guys heard that? Right? If you guys were uh, here for the first study that we've been working on for several weeks now on Sundays, uh, uh, did the Bible really come from God? We dealt with that, uh, people's opinions and how they want to denigrate Jesus. Uh, they may say that his sayings are worth examining, but uh, they're no more valuable than the sayings of other religious leaders like Buddha, Muhammad, or the great confused one. Remember that? We dealt with that before, okay? Uh, but then you might have some other people, many Jews or Muslims, who would go so far as to hold that he was a prophet uh, who was sent by God. Now, if you were there for that study, we clearly saw and Josh McDowell brings this out in his book, I believe, uh, Verdict Demands, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, More Than a Carpenter, the smaller version. If you haven't got that, it's really good. But uh, he talks about, uh, he didn't leave us with that option. Either, as you read the accounts, logically, Jesus was some sort of a liar. No. Why? That's not right. Well, because logically, when you read the account, that's not consistent at all with the character that we see with Jesus, okay? So he's not a liar, okay? Because he told the truth, even at the expense of his own life, okay? A liar would, would not do that. Uh, he's either some form of a, a lunatic, okay, is what we see. But again, that's not consistent with the character that we see uh, with being a, a, a lunatic because, of course, how he loved and took care of people and etc. whatever. Or the only other option is the third L in that he was in, indeed who he said he was. He was Lord, and as we're going to see tonight, Lord God, okay? And this is important because as we saw last week, if you get wrong who God is, including the Trinity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, you mess things up. Okay, and that's, this, that's what happens with the cults, uh, and they, they always veer off on that. And it's the same thing, this is where we left off last week, if you're here, when it comes to who is Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. He's
Galatians 1 and 2. How can you explain that? I don't know, but that's what the Bible teaches, okay, uh, is what's going on there. How, you know, you can come out with analogies like we saw with the Trinity. Well, I can give you one times one times one equals one. So three ones can still equal one uh, and things of that nature. And, and how is Jesus fully God and fully man? That's what the Bible teaches, okay? The Bible also says that God is fully sovereign, yet man is fully responsible for his behavior. How does that work out? I don't know, but that's what the, the Bible teaches. We can come up with analogies and whatever. And again, you're thinking, well, well, then it can't be true if I can't understand it. Actually, think about that because that actually is a logical, okay, absurdity, okay? Because if God, being the supreme being, who is omniscient, he knows all things, right? Then uh, you and I who are, and he's infinite, uh, you and I who are finite and we don't know all things. How many guys can figure that out yet? You guys haven't figured that out, and that's why you're still having troubles in your marriage and relationships. No, because you think you know it all. Okay, but anyway, that's right. We won't go there. That's for a marriage study. Uh, logical absurdity, okay? Only God knows all things, okay? So then if we are having a book about God, and we see Jesus, who is God, then it's logical that us who do not know everything are not going to understand everything about God. Now think about that. That's completely satisfying philosophically, let alone biblically and logically. You think, well, well, you know, because people, they give this concept, like, well, unless I can figure everything out about God and understand all these, well, first of all, the Bible uses words like mystery, the mystery of the church, oh, the manifold wisdom of God. We, the, the height of, uh, of, of uh, pride would be that us, with our little finite brains, can understand the infinite. If we could, now listen, to follow the logic. If we could understand the infinite, all things, then that would make us God. Right? So by nature, we're not God, and we are finite, not infinite, like God, and we don't know everything, then it doesn't surprise us that once in a while you come across some things that is not a logical absurdity, it's logical. I expect to not understand everything from God. If I could understand everything about this so-called version of God or somebody's version of God, what kind of a God is that? Right? So you can't have it both ways. People want to have their cake and eat it too. And so it is with the deity of Jesus Christ. We may not be able to explain it, but that's what uh, uh, the Bible clearly says. He is God. And really, you know, again, with analogies, we've talked about many analogies uh, with the Bible. But basically, you've got Jesus is God with flesh on. Okay? That's what Paul says. He came, Philippians chapter 2, to this world in the form of a servant. He took on flesh. Okay? He humbled himself. He came in here. And as we're going to see, uh, boy, does that really help in life a lot when you understand uh, who Jesus is. But let's continue on with that. He says this, uh, but rare is the person who will boldly proclaim that he is the son of God, Jesus, and even less often that he is God. Okay, and yet it's so important, okay? The importance of this question is immense. If Jesus Christ is not God, then he could not have been a sinless sacrifice. Why? Why does he have to be, I kind of gave you a little sneak peek last week at the end of the study, if you remember this, why does he have to be God in order to be a sinless sacrifice? Why do we have to maintain to the deity of Jesus Christ, not just his humanity? Bingo, Tom, you got it, because only God is sinless. And that's where we left off, and I was giving a little teaser with the virgin birth at the end of the study last week, okay? That's a very important doctrine. That's not something, well, just, it was, not, no, don't, because logically it starts to fall apart, roll downhill. Because only God, okay, is without sin, Right? If we're going to have a sacrifice in our place to satisfy an infinitely holy, righteous, and just God, he has to be perfect. But in order for it to be a perfect sacrifice, he has to be from outside the realm of man, right? Jesus had to be fully man because only man can die a physical death. 
Okay, yet Jesus had to be God because God is without sin. Okay, and you see what I'm saying? So he has to be both at the same time. You try to do what the cult's do and he messes it up. And then, you, then he starts getting to a works-based salvation and things of that nature. He is fully God and he is fully man. And people almost always get the man part, okay? The humanity part, okay? But it's this deity issue uh, that people just, just want to seem to scoff at and, 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 and choke and it's unfortunate, okay? Thus, if he was not God, his death on the cross was not sufficient to satisfy the righteous demands of the Father. Uh, if this is true, that if he wasn't God, we are hopelessly lost and eternally separated from God, okay? Uh, the code word for that is we're in a hippocus of trebucus, okay? In case you're wondering right there, okay? Uh, on the other hand, if Jesus Christ is God, then his sacrifice for mankind is sufficient. And as we saw last week, that's why he rose again from the grave because if he did have sin within him, it would not have been acceptable. Death would still have power over him and he would have stayed there. But because he was without sin, death had no hold over him and he raised again uh, from the grave, okay? On the, okay, and then he says this, and he says it this way, and that's why Jesus, uh, is his sacrifice is sufficient to satisfy the righteous demands of God. He is then, as he stated, the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to a personal relationship with the Father through him is the only way to escape, listen, fiery torment of an eternal hell and inherit the eternal bliss of heaven. But as we all know, um, there is no such place as hell. That was there, uh, just put in there by man, inserted in the Bible, unfortunately, with some conspiracy theory, okay, just to manipulate us and make us do what those people from the pulpit say to do to, the, how many of you guys heard that one? Okay, it's all over the place. Okay, so they not only denigrate Jesus, they don't deny his deity, which messes up the whole salvation part, okay, and, uh, but they also want to say that he didn't believe in uh, hell. It's like, and I always, I always ask people this question, when they start going down a works-based aspect, um, then go back to the cross. Why the cross? Ask yourself, nine times out of ten, all you got to do is ask yourself, why the cross? And it gets you right back on track. Okay? Uh, if there is no hell, why the cross? If we're all going to heaven, why the cross? If we could earn our way to heaven and we didn't need a sinless sacrifice, God putting flesh on, coming here to die, a sinless sacrifice, why the cross? If we had something to do with it or something we had to do to not just get it or earn it or maintain it, why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die, right? Why didn't he just get beat up pretty bad? And then we'll take it on from there, right? You mess with the Trinity, you mess with who God is, the Holy Spirit is, who Jesus is, and it's humanity and deity. It messes everything up, and that's why we're in these studies today. Why the cross, okay? Uh, he believed in hell. Let me give you a couple examples. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said, But I tell you, anybody who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answered to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of, guess what? Hell, that's from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 5, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, Mark 9, uh, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, if your foot causes you to sin, it's better for you to enter crippled uh, uh, than to have two feet or to have two hands than to go into hell okay matthew 10 28 jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid wait a second i thought we're not supposed to be afraid of god rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell jesus said that now as you and i saw that there uh, the fear isn't bad how many guys would say it's probably a good thing to fear fire how many guys that's a good fear right how many guys would say it's a good thing to fear uh, a giant spider on your head. 
right? I fear those things. I don't care on what size they are, right? Okay, well, that's good. Okay, how many guys, it's a fear uh, if uh, uh, an elephant was charging at you, right? How many guys, last week, I tell you, Tuesday, I'll leave my office. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but uh, uh, that's a good fear, okay? And again, I'll give you the classic easy one. You guys should know this. How many guys would say it's a good fear to have of chicken? Okay, all right. Yeah, thank you. You got the point, finally. Okay, but uh, not all fear is bad, okay? How many guys were afraid when dad gave you the look when you did something wrong? And the look was the last step before you do it again, okay, you're going to get it, right? And that look instilled fear. Is that bad? Right? It was bad when you ignored that warning sign, and it's the same. Not all fear is bad, okay? People say, well, God, you should never fear God. No, when it comes to after being born again, okay, we're not afraid of losing our salvation or going to hell because that's been satisfied. Praise God. It's more of a relational fear that we're going to get a spanky-wanky. We're going to get uh, a discipline, right? Nobody likes discipline. Hebrews 12 talks about. Okay, but if you're not saved, you should be afraid of going straight to hell. You should be afraid, very afraid of going to hell. Slap a bunch of spiders on your head. That's nothing compared, okay, of going for all eternity into hell, okay? Why the cross? Because Jesus died to take the wrath of God so we can escape from going to hell. That's good stuff. He says, uh, Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you are. Matthew 23, 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? Luke 12, 5, but I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The second time he says that in two different gospels. Luke 16, at the time came when uh, the beggar died, the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony. I'm not partying down here with my buddies. I'm in agony in this fire. Jesus clearly believed in hell. Now, the Bible says that God, of course, is not just just, he is love. And the Bible says that originally hell was created for the devil and his demons, not for mankind, but because man sinned and joined in the rebellion, that's where you're going. But because God loves us, guess what he did? God the Son, Jesus, God, came to this world to take on flesh so he could die the perfect sacrifice on the cross so we could be rescued from that place. You see that? You keep it all together, it's perfectly fine. Just stick to uh, the deity and humanity of Christ. Now, let's put it to the test. Is Christ eternal? Yes, good answer, that's right. There's several questions we can ask, and this is important, whether Jesus is God. Why? Because if he is eternal, then he is God. Okay, why? Because only God is eternal. Now, philosophically, that's what's called uh, of God's character. By definition of a supreme being, just philosophically, is one who is uh, omnipotent, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, and he's self-existent, meaning he doesn't have a cause for his existence. Well, why is that important? Because if God was dependent on something or someone for his cause, then he wouldn't be supreme, would he? He'd be dependent on somebody. So God, by definition, whether you want to believe in the biblical one and only God, okay, is the one who is self-existent, okay? So if you're self-existent, then that means you're outside the realm of time and you are eternal. So a basic attribute of deity, of supreme beingness, if you will, that's even a word, is you have to be self-existent. You have to be eternal. And so that's what we see with Jesus. First, uh, we're going to turn uh, to that question. If Christ is not eternal, he cannot be God. At the same time, if Christ is eternal, that's your first blank, he has to be God because God is eternal. Okay. So what's the Bible say? 
Well, John 1, 1 there says, in the beginning was the word, in the context, of course, as we saw last time, was speaking of Jesus. The word was with God, and the word was God, okay, is what the scripture says. Now, there's a really cool Greek uh, word that's going on here, uh, and it's this. The word was, in that verse there, okay, in the beginning was the word, is the Greek word hen. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that has to do with chicken, and it doesn't. Just get that out of your brain. Okay, it's just a Greek word, okay? It's in perfect tense, and it stresses continual, is your blank there. It stresses continual existence in past time, okay? Uh, and so John indicates uh, that however far back one goes, guess who's there, continually existing? God, Jesus, the word in the context. Therefore, when the beginning of time occurred, guess who was already continually existing? Jesus, okay? I, one of my favorite visuals of this, I don't have anything to... I have to do the micro version, <laughs> is, is this little chart here that I've used before. Okay, this is God, and God is in the realm of eternal, okay? This is man, and we're on the realm of time. Now, time has a beginning, and time has an end, okay? But God is eternal. That's why a line by the, uh, represented by the line that has two arrows on it, there's no beginning, there's no end, okay? But we, there was a beginning point of creation, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, in the beginning time, God created Okay, what? The heavens, space, and matter. Time, space, matter. That's our continuum right there. And the very first verse, very first page of the Bible tells us about it's in the beginning there was time. Believe it or not, there was a time when there was no time. But there's always been eternity because God is self-existent. Okay, now there's going to be an end of time. We see that in the book of Revelation at the end. After the great white throne judgment, after the millennium, okay, uh, then there's what's called the eternal state. Okay, with the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so there's going to be an end of time, if you will, and it's just going to be the eternal state. Now, you and I are born at a certain time. We die at a certain time. We are on the realm of time. Now, when you look at it from God's perspective, it's really cool because God can see the beginning and the end all at the same time. He could look at any realm of time in man's history, past, present, or future. We're linear. He's not. He's above and beyond it all. As if he's reading through the pages in a book. And then you look at Jesus, and he's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He is God. He's eternal. He could see it all. And if Jesus sees it all, okay, no wonder the Bible says that, hey, God already knows what you are going to ask before you even ask. Why? Because he's above and beyond it. He knows it. He knows. The Bible says uh, we are, are, are gonna bo we're born on time. We're going to die on time. Job 14, 5. God has determined the length of our lives. We're not given a minute longer. He sees it all. And listen, if God can see your tomorrow, no wonder he says don't worry about it tomorrow and if God's in our today today and he says just seek me first my kingdom and my righteousness don't worry about what you're going to eat what you're going to drink what you're going to wear he says don't worry about tomorrow why because he's already there he's already got it mapped out for you and if he's promised all things are working together for good then that doesn't mean just today's events it means tomorrow's and however tomorrow's you have right absolutely awesome but that's who we see of Jesus he is eternal next page John 8 48 through 59 Jesus was uh, talking with the Jews who despised him Okay, and they tested and, and accusing him and trying to get him to incriminate himself. And here's what the text says. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and he was glad. Now the Jews therefore said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Okay, now that, if you know, and the Jewish people know, because look at their next reaction. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, because they were trying to start a baseball game. Because that's really where baseball started. No. Why did they th pick up stones to throw? Why were they, what, what, in the Jewish culture, when you picked up rocks and threw them at people, what were you trying to do to them? You were trying to kill them. 
Okay, but Jesus hid himself and went out in the temple. Why? Because he was claiming himself to be the eternal God. Let's grab the context, which the Jewish people knew, okay? Whether you and I understand it, 2,000 years removed. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, very quickly, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Of course, this is the account where Moses, uh, God calls him out. Okay, and this is always encouraging. Moses was 80 years old when God called him into major mega ministry. Isn't that cool? Huh? That's right. All right, how many, how many guys are glad to turn 80? Because that's when you're going to get cut loose in some serious ministry, something to look forward to. Hey, it's what happened there, right here at the Bible, okay? And how could that happen? Hey, God, what did Moses, uh, he said, I can't do this, God. I don't have the ability. Hey, I don't care where you're at physically. God can supernaturally empower you to do what he says to do and he's called you to do no matter what, for how long, no matter what your body's doing. He can kick you in the gear. Isn't that exciting? Okay, killed, uh, stalled enough time. Let's take a look. Uh, verses uh, 13 through 14. And uh, Moses says this to God, well, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, remember, he's an 80-year-old dude, okay? And he says, the God of your fathers, and he's been gone for 40 years, okay, out in the desert, and the God of your fathers uh, uh, has sent me to, and they asked me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you to say to Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So clearly that phrase, and of course we know that because the Jewish people knew that because they're trying to kill him for it, but Jesus said, I am. And of course, they understood what that meant because they said, excuse me, you're claiming to be eternal now? You're not even 50 years old, dude. And you're saying you saw Abraham? How could you see Abraham? Because he's God. He can see any realm of time all at the same time. This is what's wild. If you put Jesus, I remember one guy doing this analogy. Okay, take it for what it is. He says, Jesus being fully God and he's eternal and he can see the past, present, and future all at the same time. When he is as God uh, on the cross in his humanity, uh, is, is dying a physical death, okay, what was going through his mind? Because the Bible says, he who knew no sin took on sin, became sin for us, right? That's the sin of everybody in the whole world who would ever get saved, right? And so, so that means all the sin, not just right then and there and the people in front of him, and his disciples, that's you and I 2,000 years later and every person who's ever gotten saved and, and, and just all being placed upon Jesus at the cross and he could see it all at the same time and, and then, then being God with the, that eyesight, he can see on the cross, he could see you and me now, the day we got saved, right now, tonight, he could see it all. Every sin, like a giant sponge, was absorbed into him. All past, present, future as God on the cross. Isn't that wild what he did? Only God could do that. And that's who Jesus is. He is fully God. The Jews uh, realized full well what Jesus was claiming as evidenced by the reaction of picking up stones. Christ making the statement before Abraham was, I am, was making a claim to eternality. Here's your blank there. Eternality and thus deity. I am is a reference to Exodus 3.14. We just saw that. The Jews saw this as Christ making a claim to deity. Is your next blank there. And for this, they prepared to stone him, or tried to, for blasphemy. Hebrews 1.8 is another example. The writer of Hebrews begins a series of Old Testament quotations. The preference to those statements is, but the son of the son, he says, and so the following statements refer to Jesus in the context. Therefore, the statement, thy throne, O God, so again, who's God, Jesus, is what? Only when he comes back after the seven-year tribulation, the millennial kingdom? No. Forever and ever. And so again, that's a clear reference to not just Jesus being God, but because he's God, he's eternal. 
That is what he is, the eternality of Christ. Uh, see also Isaiah chapter 9. Turn to there real quickly. Isaiah 9. This is one of those Christmas verses. Okay. But it's, and we all know it's speaking about Jesus, but it's like it's tucked in there and we sing about it. But do we have any idea, okay, what we are singing about? Okay. Isaiah chapter 9. Okay. Isaiah's brother was? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Well, maybe we'll find out if you had a brother. But anyway, that's right. I got your attention. That worked. How do you like that one, Tom? New technique, fresh up, just for you, bro. Okay, uh, 9, verses 6 through 7. Let's take a look. And clearly speaking of Jesus, we know this. We sing this every year. For to us a child is born. Who are we talking about? Jesus, okay. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Jesus, listen, the Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty who? God, but keep reading, everlasting father, okay, his eternality, prince of peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be what? No end. He is God. He is eternal. Why is that important? Because God, by definition, is eternal. He's self-existent, and those are applied to Jesus, so guess what? That makes Jesus. He is God, okay? Now, does Jesus possess the attributes of God? Yes, he does, and we saw that again on our first study on how do we know the Bible came from God, but let's take a look at that. Uh, his eternality, obviously, as we just saw, proves he's God. Only God has always existed. He's always existed. He's the creator who himself is uncreated. Okay, otherwise, again, he'd be dependent on some outside source, which would make him not supreme. And so by definition, he could not be God. But if Christ is God, he should also exhibit all the attributes, is your blank there, all the attributes of God. Okay, let's take a look at that. The Bible says that Jesus has and is life, right? Who's the author of life? Who's the finisher of our faith? Who is the, who's, you know, we say, well, God gives life. Well, uh, listen to this. Just speaking of Jesus, uh, John 1, 4, in him, Jesus was what? Life, okay, and the life was the light of man. Self-existence, John chapter five. For just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave the son also to have life in himself. Again, you see Jesus, you see God, okay? And immutability, that's a fancy living word. You won't get that on the back of a granola bar. I'll tell you what. Uh, it means unchangeable, Tom. Thanks for asking. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. And yes, in case you're doubting, forever. Okay, once again, forever, eternality. Okay, and, and isn't that a comfort to know? Isn't it wild that we put all of our, you talk about the ultimate security, right? It seems like this world wants to get all of our securities in what? And a, and a, a good bill of health or, or a lots of finances or a, a secure job or, or this or relationships or all this stuff. And, the, and all those things come and all those things go, don't they? This side of heaven. But when you got your hope, when you got your security in Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he said a promise and if he made a promise to you and I uh, yesterday, 2,000 years ago, praise God, it's good today and it will always be good forever. That's where our security uh, needs to lie. Okay, as well as he's also in the Bible, the truth. Truth itself, okay? He is love, okay? Holiness, eternality, omnipresence. He's everywhere all present. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And lo, I'll be with you always, okay? Is what he says there. Omniscient, he knows all things. And omnipotence, omniscience. We've seen passages last week when he even knew what people were thinking. He knew what were in their hearts. Only God could do that. How many guys uh, know of many people today that are still alive because you don't know what they're thinking? That's right, it's called the key to a successful marriage. No, <laughs> you probably don't want to know what you're thinking at times, but to praise God, we're not God. Okay, but Jesus does, as we saw last week, and he still loves us. Isn't that awesome? Oh, why the cross? Because, man, we need a lot of forgiveness, don't we? Right? 
okay? And, and he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. Man, aren't you glad to know that uh, uh, Jesus can only do about 10 things? There's so many things, he's so inept, he just can't handle it. And just, we, we gotta do it all of ourselves and struggle in our strength and our own power and self-help conferences. No, he can do it all, man. He's, he's all-powerful, okay? Jesus uh, is God. These verses show that Jesus Christ possesses the very attributes of God, therefore, logically, that's right, even without eating soup tonight, and I figured this out, you know, uh, Christ is God, okay, right? Because we see that he doesn't just make the claim, uh, but he shows it with his eternality, and he shows it with having the very attributes of God, okay? Now, here's another one. Again, we saw this on the study. Uh, the first one, does, did the Bible uh, really come from God? Was Jesus the creator? Well, why is that important? Because who created all things? God, okay? In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God, is your blank there, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now, according to this verse, God is the creator of all things. How many guys figured that out tonight without any help? You guys are sharp, okay? But in the New Testament, we make this uh, startling discovery, and this is the verse we saw before, Colossians 1. For by him, and speaking of Jesus, all things were what? Created, and in case you doubt, uh, both in the heavens and on the earth and visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him, Jesus, and for who? Jesus. That's why, guys, before you got saved, you had that goofy hole in your heart. You ever, you ever do that? And if you're anything like me, you tried all kinds of things that were square pegs, okay, that never fit in the heart. You tried the, the, the pleasure, you tried the, the drugs, you tried the education, you tried the relationship, you tried money, you tried materialism, you tried all those things, and it just, just didn't satisfy, did it? But the moment that you entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, hey, something finally fit. Why? Because you and I were created by him for him. We don't enjoy the for him until we have a relationship with him why the cross? That's why. He brought us back into that relationship, and now that hole is filled. That's awesome. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, this passage in Paul's letter to the Colossians reveals that it was the Father's beloved Son who created, is your blank there, who created the heavens and earth, as well as the angelic host, okay? Not only did he create them, but they were created for him, is your blank there, okay? That he is the creator is again confirmed by the apostle John in John 1 3 there he states all things came into being by him Jesus and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being how can you get more clear than that okay and by the way I'll say this even after we get saved and sometimes we don't feel satisfied we don't feel, we, we I call it being a restless Christian okay even though you've got if you got Jesus you got everything okay you, you got the whole that's filled you're complete and that's what the Bible says our completeness is found in Christ is what the scripture says we're complete Right? But what's the world do the moment that you get saved? They continue doing that same thing. No, you can find your completeness in something else other than Jesus. Don't seek him. Don't seek that intimacy with him. Don't come to studies. Don't come to services. Don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Don't witness. Don't do all that stuff that just enables you to enjoy that completeness in him. They just want to get you away from him so that you'll dry up. Isn't that just like the evil one? So here the hymn refers to the word in verse 1. The word is revealed to be Jesus Christ in verse 14 where it states that he took on human flesh and mankind was able to behold his glory. Isn't that while God, the invisible God, took on flesh so we can see him? If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. 
Okay, these passages make it clear that Jesus Christ is God the creator. Is your blink there. All right, well, how about his titles? We've seen that uh, he possesses the attributes of God. He's eternal. He's the creator. How about his titles? Yes, he does. Okay, there's many texts in the New Testament there in which Jesus is directly called God. And these can uh, especially be seen if you know the Koine Greek. Koine, uh, the Bible was written in the Old Testament, uh, Hebrew almost completely, except for a portion in Aramaic. Okay, and then the New Testament, of course, was written in what was called Greek or Koine Greek. Koine meaning commons, where we get our word communion. Koine, okay, is what it means. And when we celebrate communion, we celebrate what we have in common. And what makes us one is the body of Christ. That we have in common, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ has made us one in him, whether uh, a slave nor free or Jew nor male, etc., uh, etc. Et okay, uh, or Jew or Greek, uh, male or female. Okay, uh, so here's what he says. Listen, this, this is cool. Paul says this to Titus on the island of Crete, and he says this. He says, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of, now the word there, of, okay, is the Greek word to, okay? And uh, then uh, it's uh, uh, our great God and, and that's your conjunction. Oh, you guys know that song's coming. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? I don't know the rest of the song. Let's continue on. Okay, anyway, but you know yeah, that's a good song. It's a conjunction, and the function is you put these two together. It's really cool because what it means is one and the same. You can't separate these two as other the, the cults would try to do when they try to slam and take away the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Granville Sharp rule of Greek grammar states that when you combine these two together, joined by chi, the conjunction there, and the first one has the article, the two, okay, that the two nouns are referring to the same thing. You can't split them in there, okay? When he says, to the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, he's not talking to the glory of God, uh, and you can, oh, well, that's referring to the Father, and, and then that's just referring to Jesus. No, you just broke basic Greek grammar rules. It's specifically put there, everything, every jot, every tittle of scripture, including the Greek, okay, is there inspired by the Holy Spirit on purpose, and it literally means one and the same thing. Hence, the great God is your blank there, and Savior both refer to Christ Jesus, right? So when it says there, our great God, you might as well just say this, appearing of the glory of our great God Jesus and Savior Christ Jesus. That's just what it's saying there. And that's just one example. We see another one in 2 Peter on the next page, 48. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours by the righteousness of two, our God, Kai and Savior Jesus Christ. And so again, he's directly referred to as God. You can't separate the two. So let's translate it correctly. Uh, by the righteousness of God, our God Jesus, and our Savior Jesus. That's essentially what it's saying. One and the same. Okay, very, very explicit and clear in the scripture. But you don't need to know, that's right, the, what was that? Let's all memorize this. Granville Sharp Rule of Greek Grammar. Okay, in case you didn't read that on the back of your granola bar either. Okay, it's time to get a new one. You know what I'm saying? But uh, anyway, uh, hey, maybe that's the inspiration. We can come up with our own granola bars here at Sunrise that actually has a practical biblical information on the back. Hey, they laughed at the guy with the pet rock. Whatever, we gotta finish this chapter. Uh, we also have direct references to, as we saw last week if you were here, Thomas' mission in John 20, 28, when after seeing Christ nail pierced hands and spear pierced side, he proclaimed, my Lord and my God is your blank there. So again, you don't need to know the Greek grammar rules. Okay, it's good to know because the skeptics would want to splice those two and you can't. 
okay? Uh, you're being the one who's being dishonest, okay? But you don't even have to do that. The scripture clearly says Jesus is God. The title Son of God, Son's your next blank there, also indicates God, okay? Not just his title, uh, it means God. Jesus claimed that the Son of God, to be the Son of God on a number of occasions. The, this name for Christ is frequently misunderstood and sometimes uh, some suggest it means that the Son is inferior. Well, he's just the Son of God. Okay, not just, you need to understand what that title meant. The Jews knew, just like when he said, I am, and excuse me, you, you're, you're claiming to be God who is eternal and you're not even 50 years old and you said you saw Abraham, what? Okay, and so when he's saying Son of God, you, you and I may not understand it, but they knew that's a significant title speaking of deity. Okay, and that's what it says there. The Jews understood the claim that he was making when he called himself the Son of God. They knew he was making himself to be equal with God. Okay, so his titles speak of that. The fact that he is the creator speak of that. The fact that he's, his eternality speaks of that. The attributes of God, he has them all, uh, speaks of his deity. But let's take a look at some final proofs tonight, Jenna. Okay, uh, as a few last proofs can be pointed out to show that uh, Jesus Christ is God, full deity. The first is that he had authority to forgive sins. The authority to forgive sins, okay? And uh, in Mark 2, Christ was at Capernaum at his home. Many, many people came to him to hear him teach. Four men brought in a paralytic on a pallet to Jesus, but there were so many people around the house, they couldn't get in the door. So they climbed up on the roof and removed some tiles. They let him down on the pallet into the house. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Right? Why would he say that? Why didn't he just say, like we have recorded other times, uh, that, uh, okay, pick up your mat and walk. Well, do you think that maybe it's yet another opportunity in the scripture that we have recorded for us that he isn't just a man? He's God. Why? Because only God can forgive sins okay, is what he's talking about. The scribes reason in their minds that this was blasphemy since God alone can forgive sins. The fact that Jesus can forgive sin proves his deity. And notice that they wanted to kill him for it, but he didn't rebuke the people. Uh, for, oh, no, don't. I'm sorry. I, I, I made a mistake there. Uh, you know, I should never have said that I could forgive sins. because He never did that. The other thing he didn't do is he did not correct people when they worshipped him. And the Bible is very clear, Old and New Testament, who's the only one we worship? God, okay, and that's what we see here as we close. The deity of Jesus Christ is lastly implied by the fact that he receives worship as God. Only God is to be worshipped. Thus, the worship of someone else by God's people would indicate his deity, okay? We've already seen Thomas' worship of Christ at his post-resurrection appearance when he proclaimed, my Lord, my God, an act of worship. At the triumphal entry, Jesus applied the chanting of the young people to himself by quoting Psalm 8-2, Okay, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast prepared praise for thyself. That's speaking of God. God has prepared that out of the mouths of babes and infants, praise. Okay, but yet Jesus was referring that to himself, which means he is God. But it's talking about praise. It's talking about worship. And he says, yeah, you're right. Worship me. Okay, it's what he's talking about. In Philippians 2, 9 through 10, Paul indicates there will come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is your blank there? Thus Jesus Christ was, is, and will be worshipped, is your final blank there, shall be worshipped as God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? It says there every 
knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay? Did you know that that includes Satan and the demons? Okay? Jesus Christ is God. They have to do whatever he says to do. They're not loose cannons on the deck. No matter what they throw, folks, there's going to come a day, and oh, I hope that we're there to see it, when we will see all of hell and the demons and Satan himself have to bow a knee before our great Lord and mighty master, the warrior of mankind, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they have to bow. And by lake of fire forever. Hope I'm there. Okay, Jesus Christ, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. That's what he says. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Okay, he is the invisible God. Okay, you think, well, how do I, you know, well, if it's invisible, then it can't be real, right? How many guys have heard that one? That's illogical. We've talked about this before. Okay, how many guys right now uh, can see the radio waves that are beaming through this auditorium? Please say no. Thank you. <laughs> how many guys can see the television waves that are beaming through this? Right. How many guys can see the chicken fumes that are coming out of your mouth? For those, I can see that. I come out of you from tonight. <laughs> you guys can't see, but I have that special vision. No. Okay. Uh, okay, but anyway. No, you got it wrong there, but that's, that's illogical. Actually, I'm just on a mission from God to spare mankind from the evils of... No, okay, but I digress. But anyway, he's invisible. All right. so, so therefore, radios and televisions are not real. No. Just because... Right, the, the wind... And the D just gives it, he gives this example, doesn't he? He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases, you don't see it, right? And so it is with, with God, okay? I don't see the wind, I see the effects of wind. I don't see the radio waves and I don't see the television waves, but if I have a proper receiver, I can pick them up. But just because I can't see something doesn't mean that it's not real. The scripture is clear that God is invisible, but get this, God came to the realm of mankind here, took on flesh, Philippians 2, and for a moment in time, and he's coming back, we get to see him again in the flesh, okay? That for a time, the apostles got to see the invisible almighty God literally walking around. Absolutely amazing. And this is important, okay? Let me share with this story and we'll close. A little girl was afraid of the dark and every night on cue, and despite what her parents did to prevent him, she would come into her parents' room and climb in bed with him. That has never happened to any one of his parents here tonight, Right? Yes, we're still dealing with it. Happened last night. Okay, patiently, <laughs> I'll wake up one of these days. Uh, patiently and persistently, the uh, mother would pick up this little girl and carry her back to the room, usually saying something like this, honey, there is nothing to be afraid of. God will watch over you. Right? He's with us wherever we go. Night after night, uh, uh, after night, after night, after night, this happened. And then one night, the little girl came in and climbed in bed with her parents yet again, says, I'm scared, I want to be with you. So the mother picked her up again and took her back to her own room and saying what she always said. She says, honey, there's nothing to be afraid. God will take care of you. He's with us wherever we go. And this time the little girl responded, mom, sometimes I just need somebody with skin on. Isn't that, that was actually supposed to be in a reader's digest. So I don't know if that's a true story or not. It could be. Okay. But isn't that true? You know, sometimes we sit there and we know that God is real as Christians. We know that he exists. But then sometimes life gets the best of us. We get scared of our circumstances. We get scared of the darkness. We get scared of something, okay? And then sometimes we just act like maybe God's on the backside of Pluto. What's going on? And we don't take him in his word when he says all things work together for good. I know uh, about you, but listen, God is with us wherever we go, all right? He does have skin on. His name is Jesus. And the place that you find out that wonderful truth is right here in the Bible. 
He is fully man and he is fully God. There's nothing to be worried about, not even the dark, not even your dark circumstances. Uh, you just need to trust God who at one realm of time came, put skin on, and he's coming back soon. Okay, and we get to see him with the skin back on. Okay, and uh, what a day that's gonna be. When you understand who he is, he is God. He's with us wherever we go. We don't have to be afraid of anything. And that's why he says, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm already there. Okay, you just seek me first, my kingdom, my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die... And it's coming for each one of us. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, You shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain, and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven 
We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.